share the Word of God with you. I have my trusty coffee with me right here. Hope you have yours. It's a great day to uh, be drinking a hot cup of coffee or cocoa or whatever it is you like. And um, I want to talk to you today out of, of course, the Word of God. But something's been just moving around in my heart. And um, I was just reading the scriptures and a verse really, really stood out to me and spoke to me. And I've learned a long time ago, if it speaks to me, it'll probably speak to you. So I'm just calling today's message, don't be rattled. I want you to say that with me. Don't be rattled. If you're watching this with somebody, look at them and say, hey, don't be rattled. Because that's what I'm going to talk to you about today. Not being rattled, not being moved. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to 1 Thessalonians, or I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians 15, 58. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. And um, we're going to be reading that passage, and, and uh, it's a great passage, and I'm going to give you the context of the passage as, we, uh, as soon as we finish reading it. But here it is. Now I'm reading out of the, the New King James Version, so... Grab your Bibles, 1 Corinthians 15, 58, chapter 15 is the resurrection chapter. And so let's read it. Paul writes, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. It's not for nothing in the Lord. Now, let me give you the context of this verse, because, you know, I'll tell you the Three cardinal rules for Bible interpretation are context, context, context. So when you read a verse, you need to see what came in front of it and what follows after it. So since there was a therefore that this verse began with, then Paul has said something leading up to this verse that we need to note. Uh, now the context for this passage is that certain false teachers had weaved their way into the church, which I've been talking to you a lot about in the last uh, few weeks, false teachers, false prophets, and how they weave their way into the church and infiltrate the church to overthrow it, to hinder it, to confuse it, and all kinds of things. But these false teachers had uh, infiltrated the church with this message. There is no resurrection. They were teaching that there is no resurrection. Now, they were probably Sadducees um, because Sadducees uh, in the Bible believed there was no resurrection. That was their philosophy. That was their belief that there was no resurrection. When you died, that was it. Uh, there was no life after death. Now, Paul uh, answers in verse 12. He says this. Now, if Christ has preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say there's no resurrection of the dead? So, so this is what made him, what moved him, and the Holy Spirit moved on him to write chapter 15, because chapter 15 is the resurrection chapter. Why did he write it? Because these teachers, these false teachers had infiltrated the church, and they were literally overthrowing the faith of some of the people with this, this lie that there's no resurrection. And... Um, you remember that Jesus had confronted the Sadducees in the Gospels when they brought him that um, hypothetical situation of a woman who ends up married seven times and when she goes to heaven, whose uh, wife will she be? And uh, Jesus knew what they were getting at and Jesus knew that they did not believe in a resurrection. And so 
Jesus said to them, you know what? You're in error because you don't know the scriptures and you don't know the power of God. So Jesus rebuked them. And uh, Jesus, uh, Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 4, 14, for instance, and they knew that this was the teaching of Paul, the Corinthian church did. He wrote, we believe that Jesus died and we also believe he rose again. So we believe that God will raise to life through Jesus any who have died. Can I read that again? We believe that God will raise to life through Jesus any who have died and bring them together with him when he comes again. What a great, great passage. So Paul answers the Sadducees and he's answering these Christians who have been rattled and shaken and are struggling in their faith about there being no resurrection. He answers them and he says, look, I've told you and I'll tell you again, Christ rose from the dead. He was the first fruits. And because he rose, so will we. And we know as we read the New Testament that the resurrection of our bodies from the grave is one of the core promises of the word of God to Christian people. Uh, that, that we're going to be resurrected is one of the one of the great great hopes of the Christian. It's the great expectation of the Christian that when we die, yeah, our bodies may go in a grave if we're not here when the rapture happens. But when Christ returns, we're coming out of the graves and we'll be caught up together with Him in the clouds, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. So that's one of the great promises to Christians. So. Paul writes chapter 15 in answer to all of this, and he describes how the resurrection will happen, why it will happen, and that it will indeed happen. Now, the very last verse in this resurrection chapter is our text today. It's the very last verse on chapter 15. Paul is telling the Christians, don't let these things rattle you. You're, you're being rattled too easily. Don't let it knock you out of your confidence and security in Jesus Christ. You know the promises. You know what I've taught you. You know what Christ promised. So don't be so easily moved, shaken, or rattled in your faith. It reminds me of Paul's prayer for the Ephesian church that we find in Ephesians 4 verse 14. Listen to this. Paul says, here's what I'm praying for the church, that we would no longer be tossed and blown by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever, they sound like the truth. And here again, this is another uh, uh, mention of the infiltration of false teachers into the church. Um, virtually uh, more of the epistles than not either deal directly with false teachers and false prophets or it is a subtopic of most of the epistles. And so Paul says, look, I'm praying that you won't be any longer tossed to and fro, blown about like a tumbleweed you see crossing the highway in a West Texas town, just being blown around by the wind. And that's the way some of these Christians were. They were being blown, blown around uh, by the wind of false teaching, false prophets, and Paul said, no, I, I, don't, I don't want this happening to you anymore. I want you to be steadfast, immovable, and always abounding in the work of the Lord. So that's where I want to go today. And I've called this message, 
Don't be rattled. Now, we may not be dealing with a doctrinal issue like the Corinthians were, but, but we're being touched by so many things that are rattling Christians all over the country. Let me name a few. Uh, just take the year 2020. You know, we, we've been shaken by a national pestilence. It has totally changed the lives of most people. And then on top of that, racial tensions have filled the air, filled the atmosphere. And then an uncertain job market concerns many because so many places have actually literally closed because of COVID. And rising persecution is another thing. You know, I don't know if you're aware of it, but persecution is rising in America. It's coming at us from certain sectors of our culture, and it's, it's, it's happening more and more. The attempt to muzzle the church, intimidate the church, threaten the church, command the church to no longer um, enunciate, no longer express uh, biblical principles about morals and ethics and, and different things. So we've been rattled. We've been shaken. Uh, the, the whole culture, not just America, but the whole world has been blown about by all these things that have happening, that are happening. But God's word to his people remains exactly the same. Here it is. Don't you be rattled, shaken, or discouraged. David the psalmist triumphantly declared, truly, he is my rock. He is my salvation. He is my fortress. Listen to this. I will not be shaken. Oh, I love that. I'm so glad for David and his faith and the Psalms that are so beautiful. That's such a powerful verse. I'm going to read it quickly one more time. Truly, the Lord is my rock. The Lord is my salvation. The Lord is my fortress. Therefore, because of that, I will not be shaken. Though others are being blown around like tumbleweeds, not me. No, I'm going to be steadfast immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. So that's what Paul says. Instead of being shaken, instead of being troubled, instead of losing your peace, instead of wringing your hands, instead of losing sleep, instead of chewing your nails and looking just like the world who, who has no God uh, to lean on, Paul says, therefore, you, my beloved brethren, you be steadfast. You be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Now, I'm going to take these three powerful words and, and, and I want to unwrap them. I just want to look at these words because this is what he commands us to walk in. And remember, it's not just Paul, it's the Holy Ghost moving Paul to write the word. So the Holy Ghost uh, is telling the church, don't you be moved, don't you be shaken, but you be steadfast and immovable. So let's look at them. First of all, Steadfast. Therefore, my beloved brethren, you be steadfast. Can we say that together? Say it out loud with me. Steadfast. Steadfast. What a great word. Now, steadfast comes from a Greek word that means to be firm in purpose and in mind, well stationed, securely positioned, not given to fluctuation or moving off course. All right? And Paul loved using the word steadfast. He told the, the Colossian church in Colossians 1, verse 23, continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast. Same idea, 
not moved away. Definitely the same idea, not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which you heard. Now, what I want to point out about the word steadfast is it points more to you as an individual and to what's going on inside of you. You know, often we're told in the Bible and encouraged and exhorted in the Bible to not faint. Don't faint. Uh, in, like, for instance, in due season, you will reap if you faint not. Uh, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Now, fainting is something that happens on the inside of a person. They can look great on the outside, but on the inside, something is going on. They're losing their confidence. They're losing their hope. Uh, they're losing their sense of, of um, security in God. They're losing sight of the promises. They're usually very tired on the inside. You know, they may be dressed to kill. They may have a great job and be making lots of money. But something is eating away. You know, it's like termites. Uh, termites can eat away at a house and you never know that they're there. The house looks great. You, you have no idea that there is a hidden enemy behind the wall chewing away on the wood, on the strength, on the frame, uh, on, on what is holding that house up. And then one day something collapses and you go, how in the world did, like say the, the porch outside that was held up with two wooden beams, suddenly that that porch just collapses or, or leans to one side and you look and you go, what happened? It, it looked great. Well, what happened was termites got in and termites chewed away on that wood and it looked great for a while, but an unseen enemy was compromising its strength. And that's what happens in the inside of people. And that's what he's talking to us about here. Steadfast, uh, continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast. Be ye steadfast, immovable, not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard. So, so this word, this exhortation, this first word in the verse is talking about keeping it together on the inside. It's telling you and me as individuals to not be moved away from our own steadfastness within ourselves, right? Within ourselves. In other words, stand your ground in your own convictions. Don't allow, you know, the Bible says it's the little foxes that spoil the vineyard. It's the little unseen termites that compromise the strength of the house. And it's little conflicts on the inside of us. It's cares that we're not giving to God. It's worries that we're carrying on our own. It's burdens that we have failed to go to the Lord about in prayer and, and give to him. Psalms 55 Verse 22 says, roll your burden upon the Lord and he will sustain you. Well, the flip side of the verse seems to me to be, if you don't roll your burden upon the Lord, he's going to have a hard time sustaining you because you, you need to take those cares to him. Money troubles, uh, marital troubles, uh, temptations, um, job issues, relationship issues, issues with the kids. Um, questions you might have about the Bible, questions you might have about your faith, the little things that, that go to work on you on the inside, the, 
those little foxes, those little termites that no one on the outside can see, but inside of you, this is what's going on. And so Paul was wanting us to address this. Uh, for instance, he told Timothy, listen to this. He told his son of the faith, you, however, Timothy, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of. Continue in what you've learned and been convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them. That's 2 Timothy 3.14. Well, what's he talking about? Well, Timothy, Paul tells us uh, in his letter to Timothy, had been raised in the faith by his uh, mother, Lois, and grandmother, Eunice. They had raised him in the faith. They had raised him in the scriptures from the time he was a little kid. And so Paul is saying, look, Timothy, never forget, hang on to, hold tightly to what you learned when God showed you, my word is real. I'm real. My promises can be counted on. I'm with you. I'm never going to fail you. I, I am a prayer answering God. Um, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to provide for you. All the things, Timothy, that you have learned and been assured of in your heart. You can put your own name in there. I can put my name. Uh, you, however, Jeff, continue the things you have learned and become convinced of. You, John, you, Becky, you, Sue, you, Bill, continue the things that you've learned. Don't let the devil steal them from you. What God has shown you to be true, hang on to it. Don't let the termites of doubt, the little foxes of conflict, of trouble and worries and burdens, compromise the strength of the house of your faith. Steadfastness is like also a, an anchored ship. When that anchor, you can have a great big ship um, and just off the shore, it's been out at sea. Now it's come close to say an island or a place where it can, it can dock. But back in Paul's day, they would put down an anchor, a great, big, huge, heavy anchor. But you didn't see it. It was underneath the water. Uh, what you saw was the ship. But when the strong winds blew and the waves got big and rolled and that ship was tossed, it didn't, it wasn't moved because beneath the water where you couldn't see it was an anchor holding it steady. And that's what your faith does. So my faith does. You know, people see us, but they don't see the anchor. And they wonder how in the world can you go through these storms and come out on the other side with a smile on your face, a skip in your step, a gleam in your eye, and still look like you're fine and intact. And intact. How do you do that? You say, well, I have an anchor that you can't see. It's, it's beneath the waters of my soul, but it holds me from being blown. And that's what Paul is saying. Be sure that you're, you're anchored in the promises of God, in the word of God, in the faith that is in Jesus Christ. And if you just keep that anchor intact, let the winds blow, let the rain fall, let the floods come and beat against your house. It will not fall because it's anchored on the rock. So say again with me, steadfast. Be ye steadfast in troubled times. Now, secondly, he says, be immovable. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable. Can we say it together? Immo immovable. Immovable. Let's just say it out loud. Immovable. 
Let's say together, I am steadfast. I am immovable. My faith is immovable. My confidence is immovable. Immovable is very close to steadfast in the Greek language. These two words uh, are, are essentially synonyms, but, but they do have a difference. Um, whereas steadfast focuses more on what's going on inside of you, just with you, in your own thought life, in your own spirit man, your inner man. Um, immovable has to do with pressures that are coming at you from the outside. That is, you're saying, I'm not going to let others move me. I'm not going to be moved by my own doubts and my own cares and troubles. So that's, I'm going to be steadfast. My anchor is in Christ when it comes to that. But immovable means I'm also not going to allow peer pressure, cultural pressure, the pressure from others to move me from my confidence. That's the difference. Immovable points more to not being moved by outside influences that are pushing against you to compromise your faith or to walk away from Christ or to kind of cool your heels and kind of go lukewarm. It's an attempt to muzzle you, to cause you to not shine when you're out there in the culture, to cause you to not be outspoken with your faith. That's what it's talking about. For instance, you're at school or you're at work and you're surrounded by unbelievers. Most of you feel, experience that day in and day out, week in and week out. They not only don't agree with your faith, but they, they make fun of you. They, they mock you. They ridicule you. Uh, you're the brunt of some of their jokes. And believe me, I've been there. I know exactly what that feels like. Um, I experienced, for instance, uh, incredible persecution very strong persecution and mockery in my college years. And uh, many times since from different people, I, I've been made fun of and, you know, oh yeah, he's the believer, he's the Christian. Oh yeah, don't say anything because uh, he's one of those. And, and uh, you know, how can you believe what you do? That's so stupid. And uh, I can't believe you don't believe in evolution because faith is, is just an ignorant position to take. I mean, I've just had those kind of things come at me. And when that happens, it tempts you to be moved from your witnessing about Christ and to conform to the world uh, to stop the pain. Well, well, maybe, you know, I just shouldn't be so outspoken. Maybe I shouldn't, you know, be out there on the front burner with people and talking about Jesus. Maybe I just need to mind my own business and be a silent witness, you know, and, and don't talk to others about Christ. But no. Here's, this is what he's talking about. He says, in troubled times, be steadfast within and be immovable without. Steadfast within yourself and immovable without. Immovable on the outside. Uh, I'm not going to bend. I'm not going to bow. I'm not going to break. I'm not going to back down. Okay? Let's say that again. Uh, our position is to be, I'm not going to bend to peer pressure. I'm not going to bow to a godless culture. I'm not going to break and quit talking about Jesus. I'm not going to back down into intimidation because people are making fun of my faith or attacking me over it. No, that's not what I'm going to do. Be immovable. Say it again. Let's say it together. 
I'm immovable. I'm immovable. God says, be immovable. Don't be moved from your position and your stand for Jesus Christ. Listen to the words of Peter. This has often comforted me when I've been uh, caught some flat for my faith. First Peter 4, verse 14. I'm reading out of the New International Version. Listen to this. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, watch what he says. You are blessed. If you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. We said, well, blessed with what? He tells us, for the spirit of glory and the spirit of God is resting on you. Wow. That just makes me want to lift my hands and say, thank you, Jesus. I, that moved on me as I read it. I hope it moved on you like it did me. Because look what he's telling us. Look, when you catch flat for your witness for Jesus, when people make fun, you're the brunt of their jokes, you're ostracized, you're not included in, in the lunch crowd, whatever it is that's happening. He says, listen, you're blessed. You're blessed. You need to tell yourself you're blessed. How are you blessed? The spirit of glory and the spirit of God is at that very moment resting on you. Is that not powerful? Is that not really powerful? Remember, God is watching everything that happens to you and me. He sees it all. He hears it all. He beholds it all. And he will strengthen you to not be moved. So let's say together, I am steadfast. I am immovable. And then he closes with this, and I'll close with this. He says, once you're steadfast and as you're immovable, steadfast and immovable, I want you to be abounding. Abounding in what? He says, abounding in the work of the Lord. Abounding in the work of of the Lord. Abounding in good works is what we would call it. Um, abounding comes from a Greek word that means this, to exceed the ordinary. That's what it means, abounding, to exceed the ordinary. Uh, it's when you go above and beyond. It's when you go further than you really needed to or had to. It's when you're exceeding abundantly above. You're, you're abounding in something. Uh, you're abounding in the work of the Lord. You're, you're, you're exceeding the ordinary expectations. Okay? Paul is saying, not only are we to remain steadfast and immovable, refusing to be moved from our faith by the pressure from others, but we're to busy ourselves with abounding in the work of the Lord. Now, in a day when everybody's talking about burnout, you know, I, I got burned out, burnout this, burnout that. Do you know that the Bible never mentions burnout, but it does mention burning on? It does. And I'm a firm believer that as long as you keep yourself strong in your inner man, you will never burn out. As long as you remain steadfast within and immovable without, you will never burn out. You will burn on. Uh, but we hear so much talk about scaling it back, taking it easy. But Paul is saying the opposite. He says, exceed the ordinary in your involvement with good works to the glory of Christ. Listen to the frequency with which Paul urges Christians to get off the bench and onto the playing field and move that ball down the field, gain some yardage for the kingdom of God, maybe make a touchdown or two for the kingdom of God, but always be carrying the kingdom ball further down the field 
gaining yardage every day, gaining yardage every week, gaining yardage every year for the kingdom of God. And, and we do that, we do that by good works. Now, before I read what he said, let me remind you, good works don't save you. Good works will never save you. No, we are saved by faith and not of good works, lest anybody should boast. We are saved by grace through faith, not by good works, but good works do testify that you have been saved. Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father who is in heaven. So it's in doing good works that we are testifying to the world that an incredible transformation and change has happened to us. Because where we used to be involved in bad works, fleshly works, evil works, demonic works, worldly works, now we stand in total juxtaposition to that and we're involved in good works, kingdom works, Christ-glorifying works. So listen to what Paul said. All of these are out of the book of Titus, which is one of the pastoral epistles. Listen to what he says. He tells Pastor Titus to remind the people to be ready for every good work. Now, a good work is anything that I do in the name of Jesus for the glory of God. When I pray, it's a good work. When I feed the homeless, it's a good work. When I go and uh, uh, do something for my neighbor, it's a good work. A, a, a bad work or a fleshly work is when I do it for my own glory or I do something out of motivation for the flesh uh, or something that is actually truly evil, wrong, sinful. But a good work is when I do something because Jesus told me to and I'm obeying him and I do it for the glory of God. That's a good work. It's when you step out and you bless somebody in the name of Jesus, to the glory of God. That's a good work. So Paul says, remind the people to be ready for every kind of good work. To be ready, be ready, to be summoned, be ready to be called. Now listen to uh, the second verse, Titus chapter three. All of these are out of Titus chapter three. Second verse, verse eight. I want you to affirm constantly. How often? Constantly that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain, sustain good works. These things, good works, are good and profitable to all. So notice now, he's telling us what good works accomplish, not just that we should do them, but what they accomplish. What do they accomplish? They're profitable spiritually. They're profitable for the one that does it, and they're, they're, they're profitable for the recipient. Good works. Good works. It even says of Jesus, he went about everywhere doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. So Jesus, our, our Lord and Savior, our master, our boss, went everywhere doing good, modeling the way we ought to live. So the second verse, affirm, tell the people, remind them constantly that once you're in good works, maintain it, sustain it. Don't quit doing it. And then the last verse in chapter three, let our people also learn to maintain good works. Now he tells us what a good work is, to meet urgent needs. 
that they may not be unfruitful. Now notice there that he's telling us, be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in good works. Always abounding in good works. Why? Because when you're involved in good works, you bear fruit. If, you, if you're not involved in good works, you're not fruitful. See, good works are the expression of real faith. Faith is a verb. Faith is a word of action. If you have faith, you're going to take a step. If you have faith, you're going to make a move. If you're going to, if you have faith, you're going to go forward. You're going to do something uh, that God prompts you to do that is a good work. And he, he says, maintain good works and meet urgent needs. And, and that's one way you do a good work. You look around and say, all right, what, what is an urgent practical need that I can meet? And I'll give you an example as we close. Remember at Christmas time, we as a church did two large scale good works. We raised money to give children that had no shoes, literally no shoes. We raised money to give them shoes. And we were able to give shoes, think about this, to 4,200 children. You know what that was? That was a good work. It was done in the name of Jesus and it was done to the glory of God. It wasn't for our glory, it was for the glory of God. And so 4,200 children right now are walking around with shoes, whereas before they had no shoes, they had infections, they had all kinds of foot problems, but now they have shoes. And we also raised money to put 300 winter coats on children living in, um, I believe, Montana, where it's freezing. They had no coats. They were on a, a, a reservation. And we were able to give them 300 coats. You know what that was? It was a good work. That was meeting urgent needs. And so listen, dear Christian friend, if you're a believer, Paul has told us, I want you to be uh, steadfast within. I want you to be immovable without. And I want you to be always abounding in good works, meeting urgent needs. And he promises us, when you do this, when you get involved in good works, never, 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 never is your labor for nothing. It's never in vain. No, no, no. If you sow, you reap. He that sows to the flesh shall from the flesh reap corruption. But he that sows to the spirit, and good works are sowing to the spirit, you're going to reap life everlasting. and You're going to be fruitful. So I wanted to bring you this word today, because here we are, it's, it's terrible weather, and um, so, so church is not meeting just this Sunday, but we're meeting this way. It's been a difficult 2020, and 2021 has been difficult as well. Uh, COVID hadn't gone anywhere. We're still rebuilding as a congregation, with so many having uh, scattered after COVID hit. We're believing God to bring them home, bring them back. But in the meantime, let's say together as we close, say this with me. Are you ready? Let's say it. Be steadfast. Be immovable. Be abounding in the work of the Lord. And do something for the Lord's team. And then do a little bit more. Exceed the ordinary. Well, my prayers are with you. Uh, Cindy and I love you in the Lord Jesus Christ. We look forward to seeing you next Sunday and uh, tell somebody, you know, hey, I've been going back to church and it's great. Uh, we've been having great services. 
I mean, be an evangelist for not just Jesus, but for Turning Point. Go find some of the scattered sheep and uh, uh, encourage them to come back to the house of God. We'll see you next time. God bless you.